Welcome. Thanks for listening. This is Beyond the Illusion. In this episode, we're going to be talking with Amy Lee about human design. Amy's going to describe how human design works in the following conversation with Tiana and I. But if I had to sum it up in just a few words right now, I would say that human design is an analysis of a person that uses a combination of several different spiritual modalities along with current scientific knowledge in order to provide a person with detailed characteristics that make up who they are, potentially giving that person great insights into their purpose and direction in life. And according to Amy's website, holohumandesign.com, Human design provides a way of understanding what being ourselves actually means. It is not a belief system, but a body of knowledge that respects our individuality and the fact that we are ever evolving. It was designed to be tested and studied, to be explored and experimented with, to be verified by our own experience. It provides a unique map and a navigation system that can help us to know and love what we are so that our lives become more fulfilling and more our own. Now the conversation you're about to listen to between Tiana, Amy, and I was recorded using software to connect Amy to us from Ohio while we remained here in Texas. This was the first time we'd tried using this software and I just wanted to let you know that there are a few spots in the recording that Amy gets a little glitchy and a few spots where it sounds like she just drops off or a word is even cut off. But those are few and far between, and overall the sound quality is pretty good. So thanks for your understanding. Now, let's go to the conversation. (laughs) I wish I was in person. It's so fun to be in person. (laughs) Well, do you ever come to Austin? I do occasionally come to Austin. I actually, my um, colleague and business partner that I do some human design work with is in Austin. And uh, I didn't realize you guys were there. Otherwise, I, I would have to tell you guys with him. That, that you guys were in my dream last night. I can't remember it though, but I remember waking up and I was like, oh, they're in my dream. But that's all I remember. <laughs> Really? <laughs> Not very helpful, but anyway, it was it was really interesting. That yeah. is interesting. Well, because Tim and I were talking about the podcast last night, so maybe that's how it all came into. Mm. Anyway, it was interesting. That's fun. <laughs> so I already feel like I know you because you know we hung out last night. We hung out on the astral. <laughs> Do you guys know anything about human design? Almost nothing. I. I looked into it. One of um, one of my friends just dabbles in it a little bit and has some kind of software. And he plugged it in and he emailed it to me, this, the chart and everything, without really much explanation. So then I tried to Google it and look it up. And it was really complicated for me. So I just yeah, kind of, I, I looked, I tried like maybe two times. And then I was just <laughs> like, oh, okay, I don't know. I don't get this. I need somebody who, you know, is an expert to explain it to me. So I'm so happy yeah. you're here to explain it to us. Okay, great. Yeah. Perfect. Give I'm, us the dummies version. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's for me, not for Tim, but for me. No, I mean, I'm in the same boat. I, I don't really know that much about it either. So, yeah. Okay, great. Then we'll start at the beginning. So can you just give us like a brief explanation of what human design is? Sure. It's a 
really beautiful and complex system that goes very, very deep. On the simple level, it's synthesizing uh, astrology, the I Ching, uh, aspects of the Hindu Brahman chakra system. It uses a bunch of astrological calculations to put together a very specific map, which uh, when you look at the visual of it is what we call the body graph. And it shows us all kinds of detail about who we are, what our nature is. And on the deepest level, it's showing us, actually on the surface level, I should say, it's showing us how the mechanics of our life force energy work. So um, we can see through that a lot of characteristics about how we function, what comes naturally to us, what our gifts and talents and abilities are, um, how we relate to other people. And it also shows us quite a lot about how we experience conditioning in the world. And that's an aspect of design that I think is very unique to this system, where we can see actually a lot of specificity about how we're affected by uh, what we take in from others. And uh, we see it in a very detailed mechanical kind of a way. Okay. So say if I were a client of yours and I came to you mm -hmm. and I wanted to get a, like a human design uh, session with you, what, what information is it that you need from the person to know all this about them? Similar to an, a typical astrology reading, all we need is the birth information. So the date, time, and place of birth. And from there, we can calculate and pull up the chart. Um, one, one way that human design is a little bit different than astrology is that it's actually synthesizing two different calculations um, using that birth information. It actually uses a birth time, uh, the, it actually uses the birth time uh, from the moment you were born, but it also uses a time calculation from about three months prior to the time of your birth. And those two aspects um, are put together and synthesized into your human design chart. What is the significance of that three months prior? Why why did you, or not you, but why did they choose to mm -hmm. utilize that into the calculation? Well, what we see uh, what we see through the human design chart is that at the moment of birth, we actually take a calculation which we call the personality side. And that calculation, you'll actually see if you look at your human design chart, you'll see all the astrological glyphs that show the different planets and um, positionings there that correspond with the I Ching. And from the moment of birth, we get a calculation that shows us something about what we call the personality, which is your consciousness, basically. It's the part of us that reincarnates over and over. It shows us about how your mind works and how your consciousness is constructed. When we take the calculation from about three months prior, that's showing us what we call the design side which is a calculation that, uh, that demonstrates what is wired into your body, into your physical form this lifetime. And so it's an interesting um, difference because part of what we get to see is that there are aspects of us that are generally more conscious to us. They're more known to us. And that's what we get to see on that personality side. When we look at the design side or the body side and we see what's wired into the form, that's showing us aspects of ourselves that are unconscious to us. And not unconscious 
as in they should be conscious or we should try to make them conscious, just unconscious in that they're so deeply wired into the body that those are things that we we tend to not even identify with because they come so naturally to us. And so what's interesting about that is that when you put those together, it gives us a, a deeper look at how our mind and how our awareness actually functions in relationship to this body we came into this lifetime. So would you say that the um, the personality aspect is what we chose as a soul to be born into express in this lifetime? Because I think of, um, you know, like, oh, that we're all pieces of the divine. So we all actually mm -hmm. have the potentiality to be everything. And that the evolution of the soul mm -hmm. is that we are, when we're reincarnating, we are wanting to explore different aspects, not just to do the same thing over and over and over and over mm -hmm. again. And so mm -hmm. that we choose to be born, you know, in terms of like astrology, that we choose to be born under certain influences, because that's what we are kind of the blueprint of what we're wanting to experience or express in this life. Would that be the personality side? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. I think you could say it that way, that that's, that's part of, that's showing us aspects of the consciousness that we're here to express in this life. And uh, not all of those are exactly the same as they may have been in other lifetimes. Um, but there's an essence there that, that is coming back. And so, yes, I think you could say it that way, that it's showing us the characteristics of, of this mind, this consciousness, as it's showing up this lifetime. That's very helpful yeah. for me. Yeah, yeah. that mm -hmm. actually explains yeah. it a lot. So mm -hmm. um, you did mention earlier the I Ching, and I don't know if our listeners are going to be familiar with that. Do you, do you have a quick um, explanation of what the I Ching actually is? Yeah, the I Ching is one of the oldest systems um, that we're aware of. It's, you know, originated in East Asia. And the original version of it goes through what we call 64 hexagrams, which give us a view to different aspects of being human, different aspects of our experience in life that we explore. Uh, and each one carries with it. Uh, I mean, you could study the I Ching for decades. It's very deep. Um, and there are many versions and translations of it. And, and it's evolved over time. Obviously, if you look at ancient versions of the I Ching, there are um, kind of uh, stories and fables that go with it that relate to what the culture was about back then. And it's been reinterpreted and reused. It Some people use it as a divination tool. Um, but it's a way of looking through 64 aspects of, of what it is to be human. And what human design has done is taken that ancient system and reinterpret in relation to what we have evolved as now. And so there is actually um, a, a human design version of the I Ching, which is a, a more current interpretation could say and it's actually if you study human design deeply that's that's kind of kind of in a similar way that when you study tarot one of the practices if you study it deeply is to create your own tarot deck in a similar way if you deeply study human design and the way the I Ching relates to it 
um, you could kind of go through a process of studying those 64 different aspects and contemplating them in a way that you come up with your own interpretation of each of them. That would be a, a very deep level of study. Okay, yeah, that that explains it for me. Because, yeah, I do have a, a book of I Ching, and that's the way I was uh, familiar with it was the divination mm-hmm. form where you, I guess, mm-hmm. you, you can use the coins or the straws or something. And um, Right. Yeah, it's a pretty dense, thick book, though, so. It's thick. <laughs> it's, it's a, it is thick. And there, and there are a lot of, um, you know, inter- because it's been translated in so many times and in so many ways, you know, there's a lot that can that can get altered and be colored in those translations. So the cool thing about human design is that what the calculations are showing when we look at a human design chart is um, the very specific ways that certain aspects of the I Ching get lit up in your design, in, in how you were born. And so that's part of what's informing us about the specific themes that you're here to explore and express. And, you know, I've never heard of human design until this year. I've been on a spiritual journey for a while, and then suddenly it was popping up a lot from different people. Um, and it made me wonder mm-hmm. what were the origins of human design? Um, you know, you mentioned it as a s- synthesis, but who or when mm-hmm. um, was it created? Human design came in, I believe, uh, around 1987. And it was, it's often referred to as a revealed system. It, it was basically channeled. It came through um, the, a very extreme altered experience. Uh, you could call it an awakening. You could call it a mystical experience. Um, but basically where a man that we now call Ra Uruhu is the name that he uh, goes by and he's no longer living. But at that time, he went through a, a week-long uh, ordeal. I don't know what to call it. They're really interesting videos on YouTube. If you take a look, it's there's like a 20-minute long video where he explains what he called his encounter with a voice. And in that experience, he went through several days of basically having this massive um, download about... Uh, the cosmos, our existence, our our bodies, our consciousness, how we came into being, and then the what you could call the mechanics of the Maya, kind of the mechanics of the world that we're living in. And it all got downloaded into him. And it, as I see it, he basically spent the rest of his life getting all of that out. Um, you know, it's funny if you if you think about receiving something like that, you could imagine, you know, if you actually heard a voice talking to you and it was telling you something and it sounds like that was part of his experience. But the way it seems to me is that it's almost like this massive amount of information was downloaded into him. And then he, um, including charts and calculations and all of that. And then it was his mission and his life's work to share that with the world as a way of being able to understand who we are. Oh, and how to love ourselves and how to live out our nature. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. So it was channeled. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the short answer is it was channeled. I like your long answer, though. Yeah, well, I did too. <laughs> yeah. So is that YouTube video you mentioned, is that an interview with him or is it um, someone else talking about his journey? 
No, it's him. It's it's him. It's really just him sitting in a white room um, describing the experience. Oh, cool. It's, and it's, it's a fascinating little video. Yeah. So on your website, you have this awesome blog post where you describe your journey of how you got into human design. Mm -hmm. Can you give us an overview of that? Yeah, I think, let's see, I had been spending, I spent a lot of years studying kind of different esoteric systems and uh, energy work and body work. And then I started studying um, psychotherapy and um, somatic therapy methods. And about 11 years ago, I met a woman who introduced me to human design and I started to explore it. And I'm of a particular type in human design that tends to be very systems oriented. So at first I was sort of like, oh boy, here's another system. Am I going to get, you know, like sucked down this rabbit hole? Cause I had already had a number of systems under my belt, but, uh, it really grabbed me that it really spoke to something in me that felt, it felt like the most, uh, real practical, mystical, deep and accurate, uh, recognition of of what I was and and then it became a kind of journey for me to really study that and one of the things I love about human design is that the way it's presented is that it's not it's not designed to be a belief system or somebody else giving you a path or a way to live it's really it was really presented as a something very logical and very practical that if you experiment with it and play with it and and play with some of the guidance that's in it, um, you'll probably both feel aspects of it that feel very real and true, and you'll also get to see how the dynamics play out in your life in a way that verifies it for you. And and that was really how it was presented. It was sort of like, here's all this information, go play with it, study the people around you, look at your own life, and and see what happens and see if it holds up basically. And for me, it really did. There were, there were a couple, couple times along the way I tried to put it down because there are some aspects of it that can feel like, um, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I think with any typing, anything that gives us, uh, typing or characteristics about ourselves, it can feel like, uh, uh, some kind of a determination that some part of us wants to be able to overcome. Like we can create our own reality and choose whatever we want or something. And so there were moments when I tried to put it down and, um, but I kept coming back to it because, uh, it's really held up for me and what I see in my own life and in what I've seen with my clients and my family and friends. So it's, it's, it's actually quite a deep, um, it's a deep study. It's my work, but it's also very much how I live and, and how I am able to navigate life and, and understand why we're here. So. Yeah. Can you give us some examples maybe or specific examples of how it could impact or how it impacted you or how it's changed the lives of some of your clients? I think one of the most powerful things about it is that it it shows us something about how deeply unique we each are. And yet we live in a culture and, um, you know, we live in communities and we live in groups and we relate to each other in ways where we try to come up with 
agreements or rules or morals or religions or we try to come up with all kinds of ways that we can sort of agree, okay, let's all be like this, you know, let's all, um, you know, do what we say we're going to do or, or let's be good to each other in this way. Um, or this is what a good relationship is, or this is what a fulfilling life is about, or this is what success means. And I think what human design does is it gives us a way to actually see that we are deeply, deeply unique. And um, in some ways that are very simple, we can see that there are these sort of basic differences between us. I think the biggest impact it can have is in being able to just respect and honor that and not fight it. And to see at the deepest level where we have assumptions about, um, we might have assumptions about what what we should be or how we should behave or how somebody else could be or how they could behave. And the gift of this system is that when you see what the nature is of each person, you can actually start to understand that how we treat each other and, and a lot of the ways that we interact, it's not personal. It's actually each person is just living out a very unique nature. And if you can understand that nature in yourself and you can understand that nature in the other person, you can actually learn to to respect it and to communicate and to figure out how to relate in a way that reduces a, a lot of the suffering, I think, that ha- that can happen, especially in relationship. I'm a very relationship-oriented person. So that That's the aspect of it that really grabs me and um, has been really helpful to me and what I see is really helpful um, for my clients. When you really understand how your nature differs from your partner or your child or your best friend or your mother, then you can start to learn to work with that, you know, or not, you know, or leave, you know, or, or, or leave that relationship if it's not right for you. It, it brings a lot of respect, self-respect and respect for each other. Yeah, I like that because I noticed that you say that a few times on your website that through this practice that you were able to find um, love and acceptance. And I think a big mm-hmm. part of it is because you, you keep coming back to it is this uh, idea of self-love and mm-hmm. um, self-acceptance. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought that was really good because there was even a place on your website where uh, you talked about kind of like what you were just saying, where... Um, we all have this idea of what success is and, um, you know, it doesn't have to be the same for everybody, I think, but we, we get caught up in that a lot and we tend to put too much emphasis on one particular type of success, you know, and, and everybody Mm -hmm. strives for that and it doesn't really fit everyone, you know, all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you did say something that I wanted to ask you about, um, also was that, you were now in this place where you were kind of like losing the plot, letting go of the plot or the narrative in your life. And can you kind of describe what you mean by that? Yeah, I think there's a, you know, it's like we, we grow up and I think, you know, most of us, the way, the way we grow up, we, we learn to, work with whatever conditions we're born into. We learn to work with the people that are in our families and in our communities when we grow up. And then, you know, we get to adulthood and we start to have some idea about what we think life should be. You know, that's something that's pretty characterized by the Saturn return if you look at astrology and and also in human design that, you know, some 
where in our early adulthood we start to get to this point where we have some sense of what our story is based on where we came from and how we were raised. And then we start to have a sense of uh, what we think our life could be or what we want or, or what we want to create. And we may start to go after that. And and at some point, and you know, I think for some people it happens earlier than others. For me, and and it may be in particular because of my design, I think it came for me probably earlier than it than it does for a lot of people, where I could just see that, you know, it, it wasn't accurate to say that I am what I came from. And I didn't the ways that I was trying to sort of create my life or make it something weren't quite working. And I I could just feel that there was some aspect of life that was there to to be played out through me that wasn't of my design, that wasn't of my choosing. It wasn't like I set out to, to um, have some experience and then I went and made it happen. I started to just see that there, there were ways that life was bringing me different experiences and, and different things were being expressed through me that I hadn't planned on or that I didn't know were part of what my gifts are in this lifetime. And when that started to open up, I think I could see, wow, I, maybe I don't know what this life is about, you know? And I think it gives us, it gives our minds a sense of security to think that we know what life is about and that or that we can choose what it's about but there's also a really it's a really beautiful moment i think when we open up to the the doubt and the question that says well maybe maybe i don't know what this about maybe maybe my life isn't about what my parents taught me or or what i what i learned from the people around me and maybe it also isn't about what i think it's supposed to be or or what i think i want maybe maybe there's something else going on here and that for me that's the part where it's kind of like losing the plot i don't i kind of don't know what happens we're going usually when i talk about human design we start from the mechanics and and the actual design itself and here we're talking about kind of i think a a deeper side of it or a, a more mystical side of it but um there is a an idea through this system that if you surrender to what your body is actually here to guide you through, um, then you'll get actually get to see that there's a life that's already there to be lived and, and you don't have to construct it. You can actually just receive it and, and enjoy the ride. And, and that's, a, that's a different way of going through life, I think. Yeah, it's <clears throat> it's something I've never really considered. Um, it's got to be, you know, on some level, very liberating to kind of start to live that way because, you know, as for me personally, I'm like a planner. You know, I want to like know uh-huh. what I'm gonna do, not just in the mm-hmm. next five minutes, but in the next five years. You know, and mm-hmm. if I don't have that, I feel like this uh, out of controlness or this instability. But I guess just like you know, mm-hmm. turning it over to something higher, I guess is got to be very like you know liberating like i said i'm i'm the opposite of you tim <laughs> but the funny thing is um now i do actually i do want to talk about the mechanics i mean i do like to talk mm-hmm. about the like you said the more mystical side that's kind of more who i am but i think um most people that are listening to this podcast 
don't know the mechanics and, and, and I still don't quite know the mechanics. So I would want to get into that at least, um, you know, in a very simplified way. Like I read mm -hmm. that there's these four aura types. Could you tell us about mm -hmm. that? Sure. Um, so if I, if I back up a little bit, I can, I can tell you that when you look at the body graph, so this is something like for you, when you go in and you just pull this thing up and you're wondering what, what am I looking at here? Um, basically what you're going to see are nine different centers, nine different shapes, which are similar to what you, you might think of as chakras, except that in this system, there are nine instead of seven. And then you see all these different lines running between them. And on the most basic level, before you even know any of the details about what all those little lines and numbers are about, if you just step back and look at this picture that you can see, it shows, um, you'll see there are places where there are, there's color and there are places where there, there's white. And that's basically what we call definition and openness. And the definition, the color and the design shows us what you are. It shows us what is stable and reliable and consistent in you in terms of your characteristics, your life force, um, and the energy that literally emanates from your body. So the color shows us what you are. When we look at the white, we see what we call the openness, which shows us where we are not defined, we're not fixed, we're open. That's where we experience life in a lot of different ways and where we take in life. And so from there, based on which of those centers you have colored in in your design, we can determine what your type is. And there are, there are four basic different types and each type has a different kind of aura. So it has a different kind of energy field that's designed to function in a very particular way. And so the first sort of piece of guidance that comes with human design when you understand your type is it will give you a strategy for how you can work with your energy field, with the nature of your energy field and, and your aura. And then you can start to see that when you align with that, you'll actually uh, encounter a lot less resistance generally, um, both internal resistance and, and resistance in, in the outside world. Um, I don't know if you want me to explain explain those different types. Yeah, or... I think that would be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I could start on a, on a simple level, I would say, and, and this applies to both of you because I, I've taken a peek at yours, um, but most of the population is of the type that we call generator. And the generator type is rooted in what we call the sacral center, which is the center of pure life force energy. It's the center that's about power. It's about creation. It's about energy, um, sex, building, working. It's about the power to fuel life. And so it makes sense that 70% of the population would be of this type because we need that energy to create and sustain life on the planet. So most people have that type. The aura of a generator is open and enveloping which means that it is there to draw life toward it and respond. And the, the core piece of uh, guidance with a generator aura is to wait to respond. And this is an interesting thing because there's so, there's so, much, uh, there's so much that we hear in life that's about 
like if you want something go make it happen right if you if you know be a go-getter or be an initiator uh, create the life you want to have and being a generator is actually not about initiating anything it's about waiting until something crosses your path waiting until you encounter something that actually turns you on that brings you to life that lights you up in some way and generally for any generator you'll feel that in your gut you kind of feel that in in the base of your body and you'll feel that as a rising up of energy that then wants to engage and um, it's actually through that response that you can be able to tell what is healthy and fulfilling for you to apply your energy to. And for generators, for that particular type, that's kind of the core focus. The core, the, the core focus of that type is what am I doing with my energy? <laughs> because I have this energy in here and it wants to be expended. It wants to work at something in a way that feels satisfying. So where is that thing? And it's almost like you could think of it like a, it's like a response mechanism that's in there just waiting to be turned on, waiting to be engaged. That's helpful because when I read it at first, it, when I read wait to respond, I thought, oh, wait until something outside shows up and invites you in and then you respond because mm -hmm. it makes more sense what you're saying is from this internal thing, even with this podcast, because if Tim and I are both generators, um, Actually, Tim invited me to be to participate in his podcast and co-create it with him. And so mm -hmm. I was thinking, oh, well, if we were both generators, then we would both be sitting around waiting for somebody to <laughs> invite us mm -hmm. rather than creating this. But you're saying wait for this internal feeling to come up and respond to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and you would know, um, you know, I, I'd imagine both of you have probably had experiences where it doesn't necessarily need to be about somebody asking you a question, you know, formally. Res response to life, you know, life is happening constantly. You could feel a response to a bottle of water, you know. It's it's kind of like as you, it's really about as you move through life, you're encountering things constantly. You know, I don't know what the inception, for example, of this podcast was for you, Tim, but there may have been something that crossed your path that, inspired you in some way, or you felt a, ri a rise of energy in yourself to move toward creating something. And that probably, I would imagine, probably came out of a response to something you saw or something you read or something you heard or something you encountered. Um, oh, yeah, so, definitely. Yep. Yeah. So the, it's the interesting part, I think, for um, for this type in particular is that the waiting part is really a, a kind of strategy for interrupting the mind because the conditioned mind, and we live in a very uh, conceptual mind-driven kind of a world, and you can see it in a lot of the trends of, of healing and awakening and, and a lot of the health and spiritual modalities that are out there are, are becoming really focused on the body. Um, they're, they're turning more toward the body because we live in such a mentally driven world. Part of what this strategy does it, is it interrupts the, the mind talk that a lot of us have that's, that's kind of coming up with ideas about what we should do and, and then trying to make life happen from this kind of conceptual place. So what human design is saying is that if you're a generator, 
you have within you the source of the energy of life, not the idea of life, you know, the real raw energy of life. And that is a source of energy that is here to interact with what is happening in reality, you know, in our, in our real experience. And so the waiting is about don't get lost in your brain. <laughs> don't get lost in your thoughts and ideas about what kind of like what I was saying before, what you think life should be. Listen to your body and notice when your energy is responding to life, when your energy comes to life. And that's going to show you what to engage with. Now, because the generator aura is open and enveloping, part of the reason it's like that, it's it's kind of the biggest aura. It's um, It naturally functions to be drawing life toward it, that, en- that open, big energy. And so you don't have to come up with ideas about what to do in your brain if you can be aligned and be connected to what you feel inside, you're probably going to notice that um, that you, there is a response in there, that there is an energy in there that that is interacting with life moment by moment. That really resonates with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what are the other ones, the other types? So... Um, the the other types another type is called a projector <clears throat> that's what i am and projectors are about 20% of the population projectors have a an aura that is um absorbing and focused and so the projector doesn't have definition in that sacral center so that's one of the core features of being a projector is that if you're a projector, you don't have that consistent source of, of uh, life force energy in your own body. Obviously, it doesn't mean that you don't have any energy. It just means that your access to energy is dependent on your interaction with other people. And the way that projectors are designed to function is to focus on others. Their attention tends to very much be in studying others and observing others. Projectors tend to be more interested in other people than themselves. And they can often run into some some kind of issues around feeling like they should be more focused on themselves when really what's natural to them is to be looking at everybody else and figuring everybody else out, kind of studying what's going on out there. And part of how the aura supports that is that um, projectors really naturally are able to zero in on a person. They're really highly designed for one-on-one interaction. And when they do that, the, the projector energy field takes the other person in deeply and then out of that has some kind of guidance to offer, has something to offer that is penetrating to that other person. And so the the projector aura is very particular, and you could you you could probably feel it if you. St- this is one of the things I, I love the most about playing with human design was, you know, w- when you kind of get to know what the the different aura types are, you can start to to play with it and and notice and feel this uh, distinction between different people. So if you were hanging out with a projector, you would probably notice that if they were really focused on you, you'd probably feel like they were kind of. 
um, seeing deeply into you and that they were giving you a quality of presence and attention that was is not common. And in that, there were, you'd probably feel sort of locked in with them. Now, if you if you enjoy that projector, if that's if that's an interaction that you want to be having, then that could feel very intoxicating, validating, um, enjoyable. If a projector was putting attention on you and you didn't want it, you weren't interested in that interaction, then it would probably feel very intrusive. Are there certain types that um, are very compatible and work well together or partner well together and then certain types that should not work together or partner together? No. Okay. That's a relief. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we don't have to figure <laughs> yeah, out we, what everybody is. <laughs> no, no. I mean, the, I think the helpful thing when you, when you can look at somebody else's design is you can get a sense uh, and you know, if you if you start to do uh, relationship charts, then you can get a very detailed sense of what the kind of uh, pleasure and pain spots are going to be <laughs> in any. You can start to see what those are, um, but whether or not somebody should be in your life, or or whether or not you'd enjoy having somebody in your life, like for a generator, would really be based on you being able to feel if your response to them is a yes or no if you could feel in your gut that your energy wants to be engaged with them or not. And that's a really interesting thing because you could find that you meet someone and they seem really nice or they seem like a great person and on paper everything looks great and, and maybe it would be a good idea for you to interact with them in some way, but you'd probably feel in your gut whether or not you actually, your body actually does want to be near that person or you'd actually you'd feel whether or not you, you have a true response to them uh, with your energy. And that would be the thing to uh, experiment with being guided by. Yeah, I'm very feeling based and I've always been that way. And when I was younger, mm -hmm. yeah, I used to talk myself out of it. Just like you're saying like, oh, no, but this person looks good on paper and mm -hmm. this should be, you know, a good fit. Um, but mm -hmm. I pretty quickly learned just to really trust that gut feeling. It's always led me to the right place, even when it didn't make sense. Mm hmm. So these major, uh, are they are the major uh, aura types? Mm -hmm. They're pretty generalized, right? So I yes. imagine within each type, there's more like subtypes, I guess, or what what is inside each one? Because I know since 70% of the population is a generator, um, mm -hmm. but we're all so different, you know? So what mm -hmm. what is it that makes us so different? And, and you can answer this later, but I... I know you do want it. You still have to describe two more types, but I was just wondering. Oh yeah, well, well, let me answer that now because I think it's, I think it's important, and you probably see, you know, if you if you Google human design or or you talk about it casually with people, you know that the type thing is something that's really kind of easy to latch onto, and it's an important thing because it the four there really are only four types, and so what each of those types is showing us is how the energy is designed to function. What the specificity that we get to see beyond that is that once your aura is functioning properly, that's when your differentiation, your uniqueness, and all the specific details of that life force energy that's in you and how it's going to express itself and what its characteristics are, 
that's all going to come out when you're operating correctly, when you're operating in, in alignment with your own energy. And so it's simple in the one hand to just say, oh, well, you're all, all generators. In the most general sense, I would say, you know, your strategy for life is to listen to your your response. Listen to that gut response that's inside of you. Listen to what your energy wants to engage with or not. End of story. That makes it really simple. But that's not actually, uh, that's really just the doorway to being able to have the uniqueness and the purpose and the details of what you are and what you're here to do come out, you know, and those come out once you're operating correctly. So it's actually when we look, the type tells us how your aura is designed to function. When we start to look into more of the detail of the different gates and channels and centers um, and energy flows that are within each specific design, that's where we get to see the really specific characteristics that are going to start to express themselves through each each person and the level of specificity the level of differentiation that you can see in a human design chart goes way deep i mean what you'll see when you pull up a chart you know on on any program online is the very very surface level and it goes very 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 deep and, and becomes very unique so i i think when you hear people talk about human design casually it can become kind of like sun sign astrology when you're sort of like, oh, you're a Libra, and or or people can kind of use it in a in a um, in a sort of superficial way. But if you if you go a little deeper, you'll actually see that there's quite a bit of uniqueness that comes out um, below the surface. Okay. The cool thing is that in terms of actually applying the information, following the aura mechanic is really all you have to do. And then the rest of the chart is just going to show us what's going to come out when you do that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. Let's just touch on the other two types. I know it's just a very small percentage that are the Mm -hmm. other two. And then, and then I would be curious, you said that you um, kind of had a chance to look at our charts. If, Mm -hmm. if you wanted to just because you don't know us, it would be interesting to see if through our chart, you were able to pinpoint things about us that you don't know that Tim and I know, I don't know. I would be curious Mm -hmm. to see if that, how that works. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to do that. Um, so the other types would be um, a manifester is the next type, which is about 8% of the population. And the uh, manifester aura is repelling. And manifestors are the only type that's really designed to initiate. They're designed to initiate action. And Um, the aura is repellent. And so if you encounter a manifester, you would probably feel, um, if you were sensitive, you'd probably feel like you'd want to get out of their way. You'd probably feel a little less comfortable approaching them, um, a little less comfortable um, initiating conversation with them or initiating interaction with them. And part of this comes from the fact that the aura that they have is really there to protect them from being influenced. And part of the reason for that is because they are designed to become aware of of what is right for them and then initiate it in the world. And they're the ones who are really here to initiate a a kind of vision and um, enact a plan for what they want to do. Most of us would love to 
be manifestors. They're kind of like the old world rulers. They're like what you would think of as, as the monarch, you know, but we're not all designed for that. And so part of the instruction for a manifester is that if you're going to interact well in the world the way it is now, because we don't live in a world that tends to um, do well with a lot of hierarchy in the same way that it used to, then the strategy for a manifester is to inform others. And part of that comes out of the fact that their energy field is really designed for impact. They're, they're here to learn about and discover and experience their impact on the world and their impact on others. And so it can be very important for them. Something that most manifestors don't realize about themselves is that they have a very deep impact on other people, even when they don't intend to. They may feel like they're just going about their life doing their own thing and then find that something they did had this big effect on the people around them. So it's a it's a kind of uh, practice to learn to consider who might be impacted by what you're about to do if you're a manifester and to inform people of what you're going to do before you do it so that they have the opportunity to prepare for the impact you're going to have on them. On the, on the energetic level, that manifestor aura is, is repelling. And so it's pushing away and it's basically pushing away so that they can enact their, their vision without interference. And so that's a great thing to understand too. You can imagine if you had a friend or a lover or a child or somebody who's a manifester, you can imagine that that's probably a person who's going to be, I mean, nobody likes to be controlled, you know, by other people, but for a manifester to, to have somebody try to control them, tell them what to do, um, interfere with their plans is offensive. <laughs> it's, it's pretty, it's pretty uncomfortable. And so if you were to understand that about a person, y you could really approach them and, and deal with them and communicate with them in a different way. And you'd also be able to sense that if you're around a manifester and there's something pushing, pushing out, you feel that kind of um, pushing away, that it's not personal. That's actually just how their energy functions and it serves a purpose for them. I kind of can relate to that one. <laughs> I feel like mm -hmm. I have some of those characteristics. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you, you are both actually, um, there is kind of a subtype. Um, I'll admit it. There is, there is a bit of a subtype, which we call the manifesting generator. And that is, um, what you, and so there, there is a way that, um, the energy and the life force that you each have goes straight to the throat. And so there, there is a manifesting quality to it. Um, but the aura doesn't function quite the same way. The aura still functions in response. But yeah, I, I think most manifesting generators can relate to some of that um, impact feature or to some of that, um, some of those characteristics that the manifestors have as well. So what's the last type? The last type we call the reflector. And reflectors, if you see a reflector chart, you can recognize it right away because all of the centers in their chart are white. And so they have activations that you'll see in the little lines that run between the centers, but the center. And so um, reflectors are very unusual. They, they're about, I think, less than 1% of the population. And their aura functions in a way that we call resistant and sample. 
Um, some people call it the Teflon aura. And they have a very different function here in life. They're really here to see who is different, what is different. They're here to be surprised by life. Um, they're they're very tuned into um, environments and organizations. They are often more attuned to what is happening in the whole or what is happening in the group or what is happening in the environment or in the world at large than the rest of us. And the way their energy functions is that it's constantly sampling everything it comes in contact with. So whereas you could see with um, a projector is going to be very absorptive, but the reflector aura is going to kind of taste everything it comes in contact with. So you put a reflector in a room, it's going to taste the energy of a lot of different people and then spit it back out. Um, and in that way, that's the way their aura is designed to get a sense of what's happening for the whole. They're sampling through. Hmm. So it's it's a it's a very interesting design. If you, I was actually introduced to Hector, if you come across them, um, you can t you can feel that I think in the energy field that there's there's a, just a very different way that they move and there's a different way that they feel energetically because of that sampling quality to their energy field. Okay, you dropped out for a second there. You said that you were introduced to one, or I was introduced to human design by a reflector. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So the, the first woman that I met was a reflector, and and she actually said she she kind of saw me right away. She was she's like, I can tell you you're you're gonna get into this and study this, and I need you to study it because I can't figure it out, and I need more information about what this means for me to be a reflector. So <laughs> go go check this thing out and come back to me. And and, um, and how much of the population is a reflector? It's about uh, I think it's less than one percent. Oh, so it's very unique. Very one. rare. Okay. Rare. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very rare. All right. So um, yeah. I'd, I'd have one more question before you talk about our sure. um, design. Yeah. Um, so you said it's kind of like, uh, in similar to astrology in a way that it's like a map for you. Um, is that kind of how you use it? Do you use it to like see like, okay, these are aspects of myself and this is kind of how I'm going to use this in my life? Is that the way you, that you would use it or that your clients use it? Um, I think it's it's the, the most practical use of it is to start to become more aware of uh, what we call the inner authority. So you start to become aware of, more aware of the body, more of aware of the difference between the body and the conditioned mind, um, more aware of the difference between consciousness and the conditioned mind. And you can start to uh, apply it by working with, um, working with the energy that's there and working with what it's like when you navigate your life, when you make decisions based on um, your own inner authority rather than based on your conditioned mind or the you know thoughts opinions feelings of others or whatever it might be so it usually gives what i find is it gives people um a navigation tool really and it also gives a lot of tips because it can be hard to tell the difference um, between the power of what our minds think and the clarity of what our bodies feel um 
it can be hard to tell that difference. So part of what the design shows is it it gets into the nitty gritty of of the details of those different things so that you can start to recognize it when it's happening in life. And then you can start to play with it and say, well, what happens? What, you know, my body's saying, don't do this thing, but I'm thinking it would be a really good idea to do it and I should probably do it and everybody else thinks I should do it. So, you know, it's not a belief system where it's like, you're bad if you don't do what, what your body is telling you to do. The recommendation is, well, try it out and see what happens. Listen to your mind, listen to what other people are telling you, go see how that works out for you and, and then find out. Listen to, you know, what you feel in your body or where you're pulled and see how that works out. Um, and that's, that's another cool thing actually about the types is that each of them have some, uh, kind of keynotes about how you can tell when you're operating from the conditioned mind versus when you're operating from your nature. That would be so useful for so many people. I think you're mm-hmm. right. That, that really confuses people. We have these mm-hmm. inner voices or nudges and it's like, oh, which part mm-hmm. of me, or is that me? Like you said, is that my conditioned mind? Is that mm-hmm. my own higher wisdom? Is that my body? Is that my fear? What mm-hmm. is propelling or pushing me? Um, I think that that's very confusing for so many people. So it's nice to have a system that might help pinpoint how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's something that not many, I know I personally have received a a ton of guidance in my life and have had many allies in my life who've helped me sort through my own path. And I think, I think it's a, if you're really talking about wanting to be able to, you know, wake up as yourself and, and live the life you're here to live, which is a big deal that it, it often takes some guidance and some companionship or some some help along the way. Yeah, live life on my own terms has been kind of a motto for me for a while. And I, you know, I do feel like that through trial and error and self-reflection and so forth that I've come to Mm -hmm. figure out how to do that for myself. But it would have been nice, you know, years ago, if there was a system that just told me how to do that, and I didn't have to yeah. <laughs> yeah. learn yeah. the hard way. I, but uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. And ac- actually, that's um, for the man who who brought this through, that was actually one of his greatest goals for this work was that it would be something that we would actually use with children so that we could treat them properly according to their nature and help them stay connected to that. Um, Cause I think, you know, that is the path that most of us have gone in life where we sort of muddle through it and find, you know, figure it out, you know, through, through trial and error or, or through what we go through. But yeah, it would be really nice if we could have each, you know, gotten some kind of a manual or even if not a manual, some kind of uh, person around us who, who treated us according to our nature. You know, I think of it, I think the the nature analogies are really great because you can think about like the different aspects of nature that are out there. It's like if you were a hummingbird, but you were expecting yourself to behave like an ox, that would be a life of a lot of suffering, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. So um, if you know from the start that you're a hummingbird and you're raised that way and you're nurtured that way, then you can really thrive as what you are. 
Um, and, and I think that applies a lot in relationship as well, that we, we get ourselves in situations either with ourselves or with other people where we're treating something like it's something that it's not. And that's a source of a lot of frustration in life and, and a lot of suffering. And if we, if we had some kind of a manual, if we were in touch with what our nature is from the start, then we still grow, we still develop, we still might prune whatever that is but um, we'd be treating it correctly, you know, and we'd be nurturing it properly. And, and that could make life a lot easier. Yeah, you really got my mind working there when you started talking about um, how he uh, thought it would be good for children to have their, yeah. to know what kind of person they were gonna be like. And yeah. I thought, wow, that would be really interesting concept, you know, on the first day of school. You get a human design reading and then all your teachers, you know, have a little chart of what each person is like so they can know how to interact with them. It'd be pretty interesting. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. and, and even like it, for your parents when you're born, you know, like, hey, yeah. here's how you should um, approach this little person. It's a pretty yeah. good idea, actually. I think it's a great idea. It was hugely helpful to me. I mean, I, I was lucky to have found this when I was pregnant. Um, with my daughter and it it was such a gift that I found it when I did because we're very different and I think it was still a struggle in a lot of ways it was still it's still hard in a lot of ways but um, it's also really beautiful and it gave me a lot of um, guidance help compassion understanding that I don't know how else I would have gotten it. I mean, I, I would have figured it out probably in some way, but it was really helpful to have right from the start. Wow, that's nice. Yeah, I, yeah. I should do that for my daughter too. Yeah. So um, <laughs> what did you find out about us on our charts? Well, let's look at you guys. Um, so both manifesting generators, so so that piece about being here to respond to life and the work that you do in the world, the way you get to apply your energy um, for both of you would be really important and probably a central focus. It's uh, one of the navigation tools as a generator is that the energy that's within you really wants to be used in a way that feels satisfying. So satisfaction is a big keynote for generators. And the interesting thing about that is that um, the work that you do is not necessarily about the result. You might have an idea of what you want the result to be. And especially because you're both manifesting generators, you might have a certain vision for your work once you're involved in it. And work doesn't have to be just career. It's, it's anything that you apply your energy to. But a, a really important piece of it is that while you're engaged with it and as you're expending yourself in it, you feel a sense of satisfaction. Even if it's hard, you know, or even if it's challenging, that somehow that use of your energy feels satisfying. The alternate to that would be that generally when a, when a generator is using their energy in a way that isn't correct for them, they'll start to feel frustration. And it's the, the quality to that energy can feel almost like gears grinding. It can feel like there's resistance, like the things aren't quite moving right. It could feel like you have to put a lot of effort into getting yourself to do this thing, whatever it is you're trying to do. 
And um, it usually feels frustrating. Um, if that happens chronically over time, it can you can start to really lose energy and feel exhausted. But I would say that for both of you, you, you really um, you both have a, a wired in spleen, so that would be a, a sense of your own survival and instinct and intuition, um, a, a wired in intuitive sense of what's healthy for you, and that's deeply connected to your response. And you both have um, drive, a certain amount of natural adre- adrenaline and drive that's that's seeking a way of um, expressing itself in the world. I think the interesting thing, probably the most interesting thing to look at at the surface between the two of you is that um, one of you is emotional and one of you is not. I must be and... the emotional one. <laughs> That's got to be me. How did you know? Did you know? Um, the um, emotional center is a is a huge topic, and um, it's it's the center that carries the most weight. So for anybody, if you have the emotional center defined in your chart, that is what we call your authority. That's the authority of your design. And about half the population is emotional, and half is not. And this difference is a really big one. So. Um, to put it simply, it would be that if you have emotional definition, it means that you have a very wired in internal chemistry that has its own ups and downs that it goes through. It has its own kind of cycling and its own way of processing experience through cycles. And part of the way that works is that um, it's both bringing energy to your life. You know, there's a there's like an emotional fuel that's there for you, but it's also bringing you emotional awareness. And and emotional awareness is probably our least developed uh, kind of awareness as human beings. It's kind of like the most recent to develop. So it's something we're very much still uh, exploring, and and that's very much still evolving. But the core of it is basically that. For an emotional being, which is what we say you are, it takes time to come to truth. It takes time to be able to feel out what's really right for you. In any moment, that natural response that you have is going to be colored by wherever you are in your internal chemistry and whatever the feelings are that are kind of underlying the experience in the moment. And so, if you're in a really good mood, probably everything looks pretty good. If you're not in such a great mood or, or you're in kind of a, a down part of the chemistry, then it might be like no, nothing quite looks good. And so it's hard to be able to tell what is the true response if you're trying to make a decision about something because it's going to be colored by this by this chemistry. And so the recommendation generally with an emotional being is to have a lot of patience and give yourself, allow yourself as much time as you need to come to the truth. The emotional center is deep, it's rich, it's complex. Um, it brings a lot of the passion and artistry to life. And, um, and it's not simple, it's not black and white. And so things, things can often take some time to feel out. Or if they are clear to you, there's uh, probably a depth of feeling behind it. Um, the beauty of that is that the emotional system is really the seat of the spirit in, in human design. It doesn't mean you don't have spirit if you don't have a defined. 
Transitional Center, but it means that there is a consistent source of um, emotional energy that's there that is showing you something about how you feel and what's true for you as a being. And it's it's pretty important to respect that and, and give it a lot of time to come to its own truth. All of that really resonates with me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's um it's a it's a beautiful it's a beautiful thing. And it's a it's a big part of what drives us through some of the cycles of experience that we go through in life is it brings the heat and it brings the desire and and it brings this sense of like let's have the next experience you know what else are we going to get into for you in particular there's a lot in here about um going from inexperience to experience so and and part of what comes with that is a certain kind of surrender to what's happening because if you're going to have a new experience Sometimes you might find that something feels right to you and you don't necessarily know why. Or you might find yourself in the midst of a process that felt true for you, but it's not quite going the way you expected. And maybe it's confusing, like, why am I even here? Or what is this all about? Um, A cycle of experience that we don't tend to make sense of until after it's over. And so if we can kind of surrender to that, and not expect to know ahead of time or to have the perfect plan that's going to work out the perfect way, then we can just go by what feels true for us and then go live it and find out. I love that you use that word surrender because um, that has been like a key lesson for me, let's say in the last five to 10 years that um, has been really, really helpful. And, and people tend to think of that word surrender in a negative way, like mm-hmm. being weak, but um, it's been mm-hmm. such a powerful, beautiful um, new way to be in the world. So I, I just love that you brought that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, it's one of the things that this system has really, or this view on life has really given me, which is that often the, if we can surrender to the life that's here for us, um, it might actually be a lot more beautiful and deep and surprising and rich than, than the life we would come up with for ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it's a, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I mean, I've found that to be true in my own life. When I when I let go and just let what's going to happen happen, it ter- usually turns out way better than I expected it to, you know. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times, like I said, you know, I like to plan everything out and that doesn't always go so great, you know, because then you're disappointed mm-hmm. when it doesn't go your way because it almost never goes your way. You know, mm-hmm. something always comes up. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, yeah, or, or you miss out on, on what you could have seen. Right. The unexpected. Right. Yeah. And that's because there's so we get we can get really busy being focused on on what didn't go the way we thought it would. Mm-hmm. And then we miss out. And that that's part of what this system is showing, too, is, is that's part, part, part of the idea, too, is that um, it's not even necessarily that you won't get to live the life that you're here to live. But if your mind is so preoccupied with what you think your life should be, you'll miss it while it's happening. And that's, uh, that would be an unfortunate, that's a sad thing, you know? Yeah. 
Totally. Yeah. So should we look at you, Tim? Uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if we look, so one of the big distinguishing features here when we look at your design is that um, you're open emotionally. And so, the, and this is usually one of the, one of the biggest or most helpful things I would say in looking at in relationship. Um, because you have an open emotional center, so you would be what we call a non-emotional being, which doesn't mean that you don't have emotions, but it means that you don't have a consistent source of emotion in your own body. And so for you, it's probably not very reliable to try to trust what you feel emotionally, because what you feel emotionally will tend to be colored by who you're with. You, an open emotional center is going to um, pick up on the feelings of others. It's going to naturally also, because of that, be able to be a, a good guide for others emotionally, potentially. Because if, if you're there and you're open and then somebody comes in and they have a lot of feeling, that's probably something you'd get a sense of right away. And so your sense of other people's feelings or your, your empathy um, and your sensitivity emotionally could be very, could be pretty acute. So there's a wisdom there in openness. There's always, there's always, uh, there's actually a, a broader possibility of wisdom when you're, when you have an open center because you're able to experience life in a wide range of ways. And so with the open emotional center, you've got that natural empathy in there, but then there's also the ways that you can be really influenced by how other people feel, or that you could be tempted to uh, either resist or compromise what's right for you in order to not an emotional reaction from others. And so the, the kind of piece that tends to go with the open emotional experience is that um, there can be a tendency to avoid confrontation and truth out of not wanting to have to feel the emotional reaction of other people. And that can be a pretty important deconditioning process um, for the open emotional center is just to start to really notice how influenced we can be by the emotions of others. You should have seen the um, look on yeah, Tim's face when you said that, <laughs> the look of recognition. Yes, that's true for him. Uh, yeah. 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 That's been true, you know, and it's actually come to light recently a lot more, you know, the, the fact that I do avoid conversations, confrontations, and, and just mm -hmm. situations in general, because I don't want to go through the emotions of what someone else is going to experience. And it's mm -hmm. not, it's not me. Usually it's just, it's someone else. It's like, I, yeah. I don't want to see their reaction. I just can't handle it right now. So I'll just avoid it. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm, I'm open emotional as well. And, and, uh, it, there's a, I mean, there's so much, there's so much to explore in, in the difference between those processes, but I can really, really relate to what you're saying. And I'll often just say to people, um, it's fine. Like av avoid it as much you, as you can get away with it. It does have a big impact. Um, the The thing that's important is to really recognize when when there is something that needs to be addressed, because um, it, it affects you, or because it, it is the truth, or it's something that really matters. That that's when it's important to push ourselves to deal with it. But for the little things, yeah, I'd say 
It's a, I can understand that. And I think it's really natural with the open emotional process to be selective about which truths we confront um, because the, the blowback or the re-experiencing of that is, um, or the way we experience what other people feel goes so deep. And then that's something we have to process. I can think of couples that I know that must both have open emotional centers and how unhealthy that could be because they don't confront or have those conversations about things that are about, they both avoid that. Mm -hmm. And then it's like this false, Mm -hmm. uh, this illusionary relationship because they're pretending like everything's okay when it's really not. Yeah. Yeah. So I could see how it'd be just really be helpful to know, to understand Mm -hmm. what your partner or actually everyone that's in your close inner circle, what is their, their type? Yeah. And the deconditioning thing you mentioned too, about mm -hmm. how to, you know, push through that when it's necessary. That's important too, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's why it can be helpful. And there are, there are, um, what we call not self themes that go with each of the open centers that give us a clue about what the conditioning tendency will be. And that becomes really helpful because we can start to recognize, oh yeah, I do tend to do that. (laughs) And now I can tell, you know, like for you, Tim, it would be like, if you're in a situation where, you know, your sacral, your, your life force energy is telling you, I am done with this interaction. Like I got to get out, you know, this is over for me. Like I don't have any energy for this anymore, but I kind of don't want to confront that with whoever's involved because they're going to be upset about it and then I'm going to have to deal with that. So maybe I'll just stick in this, you know, as long as I can. The the advice that's going to come from human design or the guidance is going to say, know that about yourself, that you're going to tend to do that. And that might lead you to being, you know, staying in some situations longer than you should or longer than is really healthy for you. And so then, yes, know that the tendency is going to be to want to avoid and, um, and then know that if it's clear to you what's true for you, you you can push yourself to address it and that that's actually going to bring more aliveness to your life and, and it'll be worth it even though it's hard. And kind of like what you're saying, Tiana, there is something really powerful and there's a certain kind of, I think, tenacity and resilience and strength that comes from the defined emotional center where you'll, you can see with... Um, with emotional people that there tends to be more of a, um, just a capacity to deal with conflict, you know, and to deal with hard feelings that Mm -hmm. there's a natural strength that's there that can be really helpful. And on the other hand, you can see with the open emotional center that there's a, there's an objectivity and a coolness to it that can also be really helpful. So beautiful things about both, but yeah, you can see you can see how they both can be great gifts, and you can see how they both can go sideways. Um, <laughs> so helpful to know. Um, but a, an interesting thing in terms of decision making would be that for you, Tim, your your gut response that that generator quality of life force response in you it would probably be more simple, more black and white. And when something's clear for you, you're just ready to go. Whereas um, for you, Tiana, you might feel like you want to do that sometime, but it could really be of much more benefit for you to sit with things and, and give yourself time 
to, to feel it out and see how, how you feel about it over time to be able to tell if it's really right for you. And so that's an interesting, that's an interesting dynamic to play with. I think when you're, when you see, like, if you consider, oh, well, how do I want to support this person who is my friend or coworker, my husband or whoever, how do I want to support them? Oh, this is an emotional person. I need to understand that even if I'm ready to move now, they might not be ready yet. And it's actually going to be healthier if I either just go, go on my own because I'm ready or give them time to get clear. And that's, that's a simple act of respect that, that you can do in relationship. We're yeah. Close. Just yeah. maybe um, if there's anything that you think um, would be helpful for people who are new to this to know um, that we haven't touched on, or maybe if there's recommended resources or reading or um, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you're new to it and you're hearing something about it, I would say there there are a lot of Facebook groups out there. There are, there are a lot of all kinds of websites. There's a lot of information out there and it can be helpful to read about it. But I, I do think in general, it's um, it goes much deeper when you can either listen to something like I think a podcast like this, something that where you can actually feel a transmission or something coming across from a person. I think often goes deeper and brings more understanding than just reading the words on the paper. So um, I would say, yeah, if you can, if you can find some, um, you know, real experience with it, then uh, I think that can be the most helpful way to get into it. And, um, and people can work with you from anywhere in the world, right? That's, a, I mean, mm-hmm. it's not something that has to be in person. They could give you the information and then you mm-hmm. connect with them virtually in some way. Is that right? Yep. I do. Um, I do sessions both live online and I also do pre-recorded sessions. So if that works better for people, that's available too. Yeah. And I think you, you can probably tell there are a lot of, there, there aren't a ton of human design analysts out there, but there are a good number of them. And I would think if you peruse through You'd probably feel you kind of get a get a feel for what what draws who draws you who there is to who there is for you to work with. But I work with people online and and by recording and in person as well. If you're in Ohio, you can come find me. <laughs> Great. So if somebody is curious and they want to know more about you, how can they find you? Uh, my website is holo human design h o l o human design dot com. Okay. And um, I do want to mention also there is. I, I co-founded a site called the Human Design Collective, and you can find that at humandesigncollective.com, which is um, kind of a community site for people who are really working with this. So if you've had a taste of human design and you're kind of looking for a place where you can um, get some guidance and interact with other people who are working with it, that can be a great resource. And there's a blog on there and uh, forums and kind of an alternative to the the wild west social platforms out there (laughs) (laughs) so it's kind of contained it's facilitated it's guided it's a it's a low fee monthly subscription and it's a way to um to connect with it as well so you can check check us out there cool that all sounds really great thank you and uh thanks again for coming on and talking with us today yeah, you're so welcome. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Sounds so much. good. Thanks again. Uh, thank you. Have a great day. You thank too. You. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Illusion. 
I'd like to say thank you again to Amy Lee for talking with us about human design. And I'd also like to say thank you to Casey Henson for creating the music for this podcast. If you're interested in learning more about human design or contacting Amy Lee, please visit one of her websites at holohumandesign.com as well as humandesigncollective.com. For more information about this podcast, as well as past episodes and more, please visit our website at beyondtheillusionpodcast.com. And be sure to follow us on social media as well. Take care.